0: As I came out of it, I again I knew that things weren't right, and they released me and I went home. And four days later, I collapsed with septicemia. The mesh itself, when it's implanted, it grow your it, your flesh grows through it. Doctor, one surgeon has actually said it is like removing chewing gum from hair, and the fact that these titanium tags that are attached to your bone, and the bone grows over it. How are you meant to get those out?
1: Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the US, killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported, because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews. If a surgeon told you they were going to implant plastic mesh around an organ, perhaps your bladder or bowel, and screw the ends into your pelvis and spine, would you have that surgery? What if the surgeon also told you that the plastic mesh may disintegrate and release toxins into your body causing multi-system dysfunction, and that the plastic may twist and puncture your organs, or press against nerves causing suicidal-level pain when you move? Would you have that surgery? What if the surgeon also told you that if you experience these symptoms, that no doctor will have been educated to look for the signs of plastic mesh injury, that no doctor will believe you if you think the symptoms are caused by the plastic mesh, that you will be gaslighted so often that the gaslighting becomes internalized? Would you have that surgery? What if the surgeon told you that the plastic mesh has an expiry date and that protects the manufacturer from medical negligent lawsuits and that the expiry date is not from the date of the implant but from the date of the manufacturing. So the plastic mesh can sit on the shelf for many years before it gets implanted. Would you have that surgery? If a surgeon told you that plastic mesh may ruin your physical health cause intractable pain, disable you from working or exercising or socializing so that you lose your career, your home, your future, your quality of life, would you have that surgery? Sally Maddox was not informed of any of these possible outcomes when the doctor recommended surgery, and Sally is not alone in having her life irrevocably harmed by corporate profits over patient safety. But Sally is fighting back with a petition to raise awareness so others avoid this potential harm and to hold her government accountable for their actions. If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all of the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for dealing with medical error and or living with complex chronic illnesses, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here is my interview with Sally Maddox and a word of warning as always that some folks may be triggered by Sally's experiences with the healthcare system. Awesome, thanks Sally. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like?
0: Um, I grew up in a very um, middle-class environment, white environment, uh, in a little country village. My parents uh, were married for an awful long time. It's only recently that my father's died. And I had a very happy childhood. Didn't want for anything, uh, but we were all very hardworking and very ambitious. So as we were being raised, we were raised in a way that if you're gonna do a job, you do it properly, Uh, and we were always working. So on a Saturday morning, we didn't watch television because my father wouldn't allow it. We'd have to go out and do jobs around the home and around the house.
1: Okay, so where did that ambition and work ethic take you? I originally
0: studied to be a graphic designer which I, I passed and uh, I, I actively worked in the uh, design arena for at least 10 years. I actually left home at 18 and I went to live in Tenerife for a year plus and um, sold, oh God, timeshare, <laughs> which people will hate me for, but it allowed me to, to not have the fear so I could, you know, literally go and do anything I wanted to do because I, um, I didn't have any money from the parents to go and do that. So I thought that was an achievement. And then after that, I uh, went to Australia and lived in Australia and was a graphic designer in Australia for about a year plus. And then I came back to the UK. And then from there, I wanted to have my own home and I wanted to be a success in whatever career or whatever field I was going to be in. And I think that stemmed from my father because he had his own business uh, and the business itself his his father opened and all in all, they were open for 70 years.
1: So you have an entrepreneurial
0: streak in you. I, do, I don't know whether it was blinkered, but all I wanted to do was earn lots
1: of money and be very, very happy. <laughs> <laughs> what more could you want? So we're chatting about how your life intersected with the healthcare system. So take us on that journey. I
0: uh, I was never poorly. I've never really, I've not broken a bone. Um, I didn't frequent the doctor's surgeries. Uh, if I had something wrong, I would always, you know, sort of take a paracetamol and see what the problem was. I'd never frequented A&E. As an adult growing up, I, didn't drink a lot either, and I, I didn't do drugs, which is unusual, I suppose. But it all started when I knew that there was something wrong with my body, uh, and my body was telling me that I was, that there the wasn't something right. I was getting an awful lot of backache. Um, and this was when I was 38. And having been seen a, a surgeon many, many times over a period of four years, I demanded that he actually gave me a scan uh, and also did an x-ray on my back. And at this point, the scan showed that I'd got a big growth on um, one of my ovaries. I referred myself to a different surgeon uh, in a different town. Um, and he literally did an internal and just said, yep, you know, this is what you've got. Um, we'll have to do a hysterectomy. And I said, yep, that's fine. So that operation was fine. That operation went well, and I had no problems uh, with that. But I'd also noticed that I was having uh, some kind of prolapse. I'd noticed that there was a bit of a lump um, in between the vaginal entry and the rectum entry, and obviously pushing down, uh, I would find that, that that lump. It didn't hurt. It was just there. And when I asked the surgeon, um, he said, "Oh yeah, you know you've you've had a." Rectum prolapse, he said, so you know, we can do surgery. And I said, Oh, right, okay, because you trust the surgeons, and that's the way that we've always been brought up to believe is that you know they are brilliant at their jobs and they can diagnose and, and they will obviously make that problem go away. However, that surgery, as I came out of it, I again I knew that things weren't right and they released me and I went home and four days later I collapsed with septicemia, uh and I was rushed back into hospital uh, and I was put on pure medication on a, on a drip for a good couple of days. Sorry Sally, what is sepsemia? Sepsis, it's a massive infection um, which can also go into the blood system and it can shut down your kidneys and eventually it could kill you. But sepsis, back when I was 40, it was known, but it wasn't treated as being um, a really bad thing and that it could kill you. It was it was literally known as an infection.
1: This infection was from your surgery site?
0: Yes, it was. Now,
1: I had a test on. I had a urine test
0: done before I left the hospital. And the nurse told me that it was fine. I could go home.
1: Uh, so the test didn't show the infection, or she misread the test, or...? Well, the test was never done.
0: I've now, obviously, I've got my medical record now, but the test was never done. And if it was done, it was never noted on my medical records. Wow, OK. Yeah, so I got over sepsis, and obviously that operation had failed because... When you um, have sepsis and you go into some kind of shock, you start to bear down and everything. I don't know what was going on in the ambulance, but it was like I was giving birth. That's how bad it was, like a contraction. Somewhere along the line, I'd obviously burst the stitches or, you know, anyway, the operation failed. Um, I healed okay, but he then put me forward to another surgeon who would basically
1: perform the operation but use mesh mesh so folks who aren't familiar with that what is that what it says what is it supposed to do i've
0: only found out in july of 2020 what mesh was the surgeon that i saw explained it very flippantly he you know it was basically yes we're going to go in we're going to sort your prolapse out and you know we're going to put um we're going to put mesh in and i was like right okay then that's fine so in july of 2020 Uh, I began to do research because I'd found out what was wrong with me. Um, Mesh is, I can't say the word, polypropylene um, sheet of plastic that's interwoven. And when you have a prolapse, whether it be a hernia or whether it be a rectum or bladder, they will insert this plastic mesh into the wound and then stitch you up and it acts I suppose it's like a helping hand, and it's supposed to stick to the skin flesh, but not stick to the other flesh within your body. It's very flexible, and it reminds me of something you would find tangerines wrapped in.
1: Okay, yeah, so I can picture that. It, yeah, flexible plastic, sort of a thing to hold things.
0: Yeah, interwoven, very, a very small interwoven that was obviously something that the um the big corporations designed but the mesh itself has had little or no testing and obviously when it's put into somebody's body they they haven't recorded any notes or taken um any notes from people that have had it in for six months a year two years it's very much a blind process
1: well, wow. so what sort of symptoms did you experience because of the mesh?
0: Literally, the next, the next day, uh, obviously, I, I wasn't well when I'd had the uh, the implant put in. Now, my mesh is for a bowel operation, and the way that they did it, they got little sort of um, tweezers on long arms, and they would go in through your stomach using a camera, and they would actually wrap the sling around your bowel it acted like a like a sling as i say like a pouch and they would connect it with titanium tacks to uh, the front of your, your pubic area and also to your spine and then eventually the bone would grow over those little tacks so once they put it in that's it they staple you up and send you home
1: okay just on as you described that, I thought, that just sounds barbaric.
0: Is <laughs> Well, a lot of robots do this procedure now, whereas years gone by, a professional surgeon who treated it his, his vocation as artistry would have performed by cutting you open and spending, you know, six hours on a bowel operation, whereas this you didn't have to have an experienced, you know, surgeon, a general surgeon could do the operation and it would take anything from sort of, you know, 40 minutes to an hour and a half. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not a doctor, but that was my operation.
1: Right. So so they're saving time and money by doing this procedure and don't need an expert. Absolutely. So instead of having a professional
0: colorectal surgeon, I could have had just a general surgeon that that did the operation for me and they would have been trained by a gentleman originally who bought this product over um, who used to study in a hospital down south and he would get people down and they would be trained and then sent back.
1: So they did this operation, they wrapped up your bowel in the mesh Mm -hmm. and how did it impact your life? literally within a
0: matter of uh months i was back at the doctors at the gps um saying that i didn't think it had gone right I'd, the lump was still there um if we'd had this operate why would i still have a lump protrude, protruding and i even went back to the surgeon that i used and he did an internal and he just said yep yeah, everything's fine and sent me away and that was the last time i spoke to him when i did Bring up issues about how it felt, about how I felt. You know, it was a question of they wrote to the doctor. The doctor then referred me to a pelvic society in Manchester where you could get professional help on pelvic exercises. Obviously, pelvic is to strengthen your core muscles, but when you have a mesh fitted, if that mesh is in the wrong place or it's the wrong way around or it's been fitted badly, that wouldn't do anything because you you're tightening your core muscles up, but what is that doing, you know, for your back passage? And also if the mesh is already in a place where it's not meant to be, surely that's going to do more damage. So after thinking about it for several months, I decided not to go with that. Because I didn't think it was going to be of any help to me. I couldn't understand why they would want to do that. Why would why would he not want to do some kind of scam? So I kept going back to the GPs for. In total, it was five years. So in the first year, it, I would go back because I would feel poorly, getting conditions. I ended up with an enlarged liver, and I don't drink. They told me that it was the way that I ate. It was my diet. So I changed that. I would then start to get migraines and skin conditions uh, that I've never had before. The migraines were horrendous, five or six a day. And again, I would go to the doctors and it would be, well, you know, you need to stop drinking coffee and wine. I'd be like, well, I don't drink. So, well, you need to stop drinking caffeine. So you stop drinking caffeine and nothing helps. Three and a half years ago, I... I was working, no, in fact, it was four years ago, I was working, everything was fine. I was getting an awful lot of pain sitting down, awful lot of pain standing up. Um, But it got to the point where I physically couldn't do my job because I'd have to bend over and have to pick things up. Um, I was on my feet for most of the day. I was a very active manager, senior manager. And I left that role because I knew I was poorly and I took up a role in an office which is not me I can't work behind a desk but I did it I did it for over two years and I watched my health decline in that two years I would go on a regular basis to the GPs and I'd be told "We well, need to drink water you're going through the menopause you know it's your back we'll need to send you for a scan uh, I had a brain scan I had a chest scan I had two scans on my spine I've also been for two lots of three lots of physiotherapy, which does no good at all because obviously it's the mesh that's causing the problem, nothing to do with physiotherapy. I was also referred to a pain clinic and luckily the doctor that I saw at the pain clinic reviewed my scan of my spine and said, for a woman your age, everything is normal you do have slight arthritis, you do have slight bulging, he said, but nothing is causing this excruciating pain. And he was the first one that made me think, well, if it's not my spine that everybody's been going on about for four years, what is it? And again, I go back to the GP, the GP sent me back to the collateral surgeon, a new one that i not seen before, uh, I was in the office for five minutes maximum. And uh, he did an internal. And he said to me, yes, I can feel the mesh. Everything's great. And sent me home. So then, mentally, you are questioning yourself. I I honestly thought I was a hypochondriac for about four 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 and a half years. Because of the times that you you're going to seek help and nobody's listening to you. So you had internalised the gaslighting? Yes, very much. And I just found that the local doctors are so uneducated. And if they are educated, then they're very, very good at hiding it. Because we all have the same symptoms. And I've spoken to thousands of people. And it starts with the same symptoms. And if the... GPs didn't pick up on it, then you know, where are these ladies ending up? And I can tell you that they're all either going paranoid, they're getting depressed, they commit suicide, or they they actually die from having mesh. We I know of one lady that has died.
1: Many more, I think. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So when did you actually make the connection that your symptoms were caused by the mesh?
0: After having these years of of just being ostracised and you know stuck out in the wilderness and you know I mean I lost everything I lost my friends uh because you you wouldn't go out and socialize because you'd you'd end up being in pain you'd have to come home and you couldn't go and stand in a bar because you can't stand for a long period of time so the excuses were amazing you know why I couldn't go out that evening and so you lose your friends as I say work-wise I lost everything because I then went to part time work, which went from, so I went from working 47 hours a week or 45 hours a week to working 39, to working 35, to working 16, to working 10. So you know that you, your body's giving up on you. And all your body is doing is just telling you that there is something wrong, you know, really wrong. But to be told all the time that there's nothing wrong is, is very complicated. So I knew what my side effects were inside out. The the main one is you get a burning sensation in your pelvic and your hip area, and your buttocks, they just throb. And the pain will go straight down your legs and will go into your feet and to your toes as well, as well as the excruciating pain in your back. And as I say, I'd had this since day dot and it went through all the way. And um I remember I read something, I was on, I was either on Facebook or, so I was on Facebook and I saw somebody mention that they had this pain and they, they related to it as being hot tar and the fact that it just, it never went and if they were to walk, they could walk maybe 10 steps and it would start and until you stopped and rested, it didn't go away. So at the moment, I don't have that pain. But if I leave my home and I walk 30 steps up the road the pain is there and you're out of breath and you know you're almost crying and if you've, if there's women out there that are watching this and they've gone through labour, it's like having a contraction. It's literally and as I say until you stop that pain doesn't go. So I saw this article and I thought that's really, really odd and i looked and i read it and all her symptoms were the same as mine and i thought i've got mesh but i've only got like you know a little bit and mine's only like that because why, why would you have anything big Trusting me doctor so um anyway i went onto a website called uh rectopexy mesh victim support and i just read story after story after just hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. And then I found other websites, uh, Facebook groups, and the stories and the side effects were exactly the same. I'd been to the doctors maybe four months earlier, and I'd literally sat there in tears telling her that I was very poorly and that I didn't know what was wrong with me, and I needed help. And she gave me pregabalin and sent me away. Pregabalin over here is an opioid okay. and it's a controlled drug that and when we say controlled, we mean that nurses have to sign for when they give it to a patient. And pregabalin is very widely used. And, and this is not me being horrible, but, you know, these these ladies and these gents can get hooked on this very, very easily. And it's mass produced and it's given to you very freely in the UK, very freely. I took pregabalin for two weeks and my daughter came home one day and went, what are you doing with pregabalin? And I said, well, that's what they've given me. And she went, you come off it now. And I was like, oh, my, right, okay. So I threw them in the bin. I mean, one, they weren't working. It did not get rid of any pain. That pain, that, that burning pain would still be there when I walked, so useless. I presume that the GPs were trying to mask a pain because that's, you know, what the drugs are for. Uh, And then obviously, you know, they've got another six months before they see you. I spoke to a couple of the girls on the Facebook groups and I, uh, flawed, absolutely flawed. We all found out little things like as soon as we'd had the operation, we could no longer wear high heel shoes. And none of us knew why. And it's because you're the pain that you're getting, you lean forward and your body adjusts to your leaning forward. So if you put on a, a pair of, you know, three inch heels, you're actually pushing yourself forward so that it's just uncomfortable. So you just throw them away, but nobody clicks with it. We all um, noticed as well that we were getting rashes, skin rashes, uh, arms and legs, and we didn't know why. A lot of them put that down to autoimmune disease because they also got an awful lot more was I think mine was down to um stress really bad stress because obviously I was hypochondriac I mean what did I know um and just frustration as to why my body wouldn't work properly why it wouldn't give me the energy I needed and and why whenever I walked anywhere you know no I, I got very very scared of where I was going I had to start planning my journeys believe it or not it's shocking I also sussed out as well that we were on holiday and I'd gone swimming so I'd swam every day and I'd sunbathed every day we'd not gone anywhere it was one of those holidays where you would just lie and the pain was excruciating if I walked anywhere so when I came back from holiday I remember thinking I've swam every day if it was something um, like a nerve trapped us. It should have done some good. And it hasn't. So I, I knew, you know, then that there was that there was something really wrong. As soon as I sussed out, I did a, an awful lot of research. Um, I found out that not only is mesh used in bladder, which seems to be the most recognisable one throughout the whole of the world. You know, I think they're called TVT-TOTs, Transvaginal tape. But it's mesh they so they also do bowel repairs they do hernia repairs and they do umbilical repairs with mesh as soon as i found out which obviously which mesh i had had done and which scan would show up the mesh which took a you know a good few weeks i then paid for a private scan and the private scan showed that my mesh sling had actually gone hard it had bent over and the mesh was attached to my ovaries. And how long had that been going on for? Nobody knows, because nobody scanned me properly. The longer that they keep gaslighting it, this mesh, where else is it rubbing against? Where else is it cutting into? As As one person put it, it's like having a Brillo pad stitched just underneath your skin, and as you move, it rubs.
1: Yeah, that's the barbaric part.
0: <laughs> Isn't it? So, And people have asked me, you know, how how do you know it's mesh? How do you know it's this? And You know, how do you know mesh is a bad product? Uh, the thing with mesh is that I was quite unfortunate because my symptoms started straight away. A lot of people that have hernia mesh don't find out for anything from three to ten years. A lot of people find out later on because the mesh has started to go hard. And obviously, as you move, that mesh doesn't. And that's when the pain starts and the tugging starts and if that mesh erodes it's hard to describe you actually feel like a twang and if that happens it can go and attach to a nerve or it can attach to any other part of your organ i think mine is also attached to a very prominent nerve in my leg because the left hand side is worse than the right and the left hand side is is awful the pain is, is barba- it is barbaric it's disgusting for me to not have the pain is to do nothing so how do you go from being uh, very career minded fiercely independent to having to just stop literally stop so that i don't suffer pain i'll give you for instance i i'm now with a new surgeon in the uk She's very nice and they all are, I know more about it than her, put it that way, and I've asked her many, many questions, I've debated with her on many issues, but this is all information that I have found out because I don't want to be spoken to like I'm a fool. So I go prepared now so I had a telephone conversation with her and she advised that I go for another scan which at first off I was like no you already have one I paid for it you can look at that and you can tell me what's going on now the next step for me would be to have a camera put in through my stomach so that they can find out where all this mesh has gone if you know, whether it's in two bits, whether it's in one bit, and she understood that, and she was very good, she said, well, let's do a proctogram, and I said, well, I've already had one of those, and she was like, well, this, you know, this is the more up to date on the digital one, so I go to the hospital, and I don't know why they do this either, but the scanning section is like 75 miles that way, so maybe me, me, very, very slow, it must have taken me, near on 10 minutes to get there and you know I could see it but the pain to get in there was horrendous and I sat down so you go into this room there's a great big scanner and they put you on the bed and she said to you she was ever so nice I cannot fault the lady that was there she was absolutely brilliant she explained exactly what they were going to do the scan itself is fantastic not a problem at all it's you know 20 minutes but towards the end of the scan They give you two exercises, and the first one is you bear down as though you're going to go to the toilet, but you're going to stop it. I said right. The second one is you bear down and literally, if you go to the toilet, you go to. I said right, okay then. And I did that exercise, and I had to hold them for maybe between I don't know, fifteen and twenty or thirty seconds. And after I'd done that, that night I couldn't sleep. The following day, I was in bed that night i couldn't sleep the following day i was in bed it took me three full days to get over the pain now that makes me think where is that mesh going to if i bear down that hard where is it where's it going next where is it cutting where is it prodding because the pain was off the scale and it wasn't when I was bearing down. That's the thing. When I was bearing down, it was like, right, you need to do this, you need to do this. But then when I leave, and I've obviously bruised all the insides, and that—that that is the problem. We—we we need to have scanners that can identify where it is, where it's hooked up to, so that in future it's a lot easier for people. In fact, just bad mesh that would be better. I don't mean bad mesh actually, because there is one operation where mesh is needed. And I have to say this when newborn babies are born and they have umbilical problems and they have uh, their belly button is protruding out or their organs are out, to put it back in, they use mesh. Now, that, that is the only product that's available. The problem is with that later on in life as the baby grows the mesh doesn't so they have continued operations but without it they wouldn't live so i have to say that but the rest of the time there are other operations that can be done okay that's that's what the problem is
1: wow wow sally so uh, right now uh, Mm -hmm. what are you hoping the next step is is an operation to remove the mesh even possible (laughs) There's
0: No, mine with it being bowel is very, very complicated. Our government over here um, are setting up clinics for vaginal mesh removal. That's the easiest out of all of them because it's very small. It's a very long, thin piece of mesh, but even that, when they remove it, how and why they thought that it was a good idea is beyond me. But with mine, As I say, we have to find out where it is and what it's doing. The surgeon that I'm with has only ever removed one, one, mesh in 10 years. There is only a handful of surgeons, maybe four, in the UK, that have ever performed full bowel removals. It's... I feel sorry for the people that don't know. I feel sorry for the people that are coming up now, and realise what's going on, and the shock to them of, you know, if they're married and they have great jobs and they've got a wonderful home, how it's how it's going to change for them is just, you know, you, I can't I can't tell them, you know, we can advise them, but their mesh is in there; it's never meant to be taken out. So, as one doctor one surgeon has actually said it is like removing chewing gum from hair it's that bad because the mesh itself when it's implanted it grows your your flesh grows through it so how do you get it out and the fact that these titanium tacks that are attached to your bone and the bone grows over it how how are you meant to get those out? So this is, I mean, the thing is, one, I'm not going to be a guinea pig. I've already been a guinea pig. I think anybody that's had mesh fitted is a guinea pig. Um, As I say, some of them work and some of them don't. The only problem that we have is that there are no records. No records have been kept. No records have been done. And basically, when they say, oh, there's been an 80% success rate, they they are actually lying because they're going off uh, maybe statistics that were done on, say, 10 patients in 2007. Yeah, if we if we had a recall tomorrow of all the mesh that was used in this country, I don't think they'd you know, they, they wouldn't know who to contact. They really wouldn't. I even asked my GP surgery, did they have any other mesh patients? and They said they didn't know. And I said, have you ever dealt with a mesh patient? And she said, yes, I've dealt with one. And I said, okay, what did you do? She said, well, it was just for pain. So this is, this is my predicament. I, I can't think about a career. I can't think about a job. I would not waste anybody's time because literally within three hours of doing that job, I'd have to go home. So uh, my future is I rent a house now because I lost my house. Um, My partner, (laughs) bless him, still love him to bits, but yeah, we're no longer together. Uh, Because after three years, he was like, I have never met anybody who is so ill as you are. So, and I, it was me that that finished it because I thought it's not on, it's not fair. You know, I can't walk, I can't socialise, so he's gone. And yeah, I, this is it, this is my life. I live in my bedroom. If I get out, I'm doing really well you know if i get into the car and i can go to a drive through where i don't have to walk I'm, I'm i'm having a great day and i don't think people understand that so yeah the future will be they'll find where the mesh is they'll find if where it's eroded they'll find where it's attached to and then they will manage my
1: pain wow you've lost so much sally
0: oh i've lost my life to this and The thing that annoys me the most is the mesh itself was never explained. It wasn't, I wasn't told it was plastic. I mean, me, I would, wouldn't you have thought it's dissolvable when they say, you know, you think, well, if you're going to put something in, it's, it's obviously going to be natural or it's going to be dissolvable. But, and I also didn't realise that I've actually got 18 centimetres by four centimetres of mesh inside my body. I actually thought it was a little patch that, you Know that we just put underneath the scar, but no, and I didn't even know it was attached with um tacks. When I saw the uh x ray guy at the private hospital, when I had my scan, I said to him, You know, do you do you want to do you understand mesh? He said, Well, yeah, yeah. I said, Are you for mesh or against mesh? And he went, Well, and I said, Okay, I said, Well, what I don't understand is is you know how I've got such a big lot of mesh. I said, well, Where's it gone? and he goes, well, it's attached, isn't it? And I went, well, what's it attached to? And he went, well, to your spine with little, little like screws. Uh, and he looked at me and he goes, you you don't know, do you? And I went, I haven't got a clue. Haven't got a clue. I said, because when you're going in to have your appendix out, do you sit there and say, right, well, go through it A to Z of exactly what's going to happen. You know, you, you trust your doctor. And in the UK, it's first do no harm. So we trust them. And I think in recent years, that trust is being eroded because of situations like mine. I want to make sure that my daughter knows all about it, all my friends know about it. So even my ex-partner has got hernia and he was going for an operation in July. And they didn't, they they just said that they were going to patch him up. They didn't even mention the fact that he was having mesh. So he's gone back to them and said, not having mesh. Anything else, you're not giving me mesh. And to them, that's like a, oh, oh. You know, so he's learned a lot. But um, I want to get the word out there that it is not the best of stuff. It does a job. To a lot of people, it's great because it lasts longer than having a traditional method. But the traditional method, may you may need to go back for surgery what after ten years, seven years, I don't know. With mesh, you may not have to go back for surgery, but your life is changed completely because of the pain. And I think you have to bear in mind as well that these big corporations that supply mesh also supply the opioids that you then get hooked on. It's a great business model. Yeah. So, And it's only when you, you sit down and you you reassess everything that you realise that it's, it's a very, very vicious circle. And those mere peasants, you know, we are the ones that are suffering from it. I'll give you a for instance, I have never known a professional footballer have a hernia operation with mesh. And I, I don't see any
1: any of the big politicians
0: having problems either.
1: Exactly. So did I see on your Twitter, pin Twitter, that you have a petition?
0: I do. Uh, my position, it's, Oh, it's a long story because I have nothing now, but there are several thousands of other women and men that are in the same situation where they've lost marriages, they've lost partners, they've lost houses, just because they don't know, because they've been fobbed off by the doctors or they've got hooked on opioids. It's It's a horrible thing to have. And the petition that I have is so that... People like myself that have suffered with mesh implants will get compensation from our government because there's also another another debate going on because the implant itself has an expiry date on it. If you go over that expiry date, you cannot claim compensation from the manufacturer. If you have an implant in your body, that implant has a 10-year expiry date on it, whether it's your hip, your knee, as I say, hernia mesh, uh, bowel mesh. If, for instance, like my mesh was sat on a shelf for five years before it was implanted, I only have five years left to claim from the company if it's faulty. I I missed out by three months. Because I found out in July using my own initiative and mine ran out of date in March 2020. Wow. But this happens, this is happening again to thousands and thousands, thousands, because everybody thinks I'm oh, great, you know, I can get some compensation. And then they suddenly realise that their
1: product was sat on a shelf for eight years before it was implanted. Sorry, and that eight years is included in the 10-year total of the Absolutely expiry date? Yes even yes. though it would um, only be in a person's body for two years. Correct.
0: It can be in a, in a person's body. In fact, I, I I asked somebody the question about this. Why would you store a product for so long? And they said, well, the date on it is surely um, how... When they clean surgical stuff and, it, and it's, um, it's fresh, they said to me, well, it's most probably to do with that. And I went, well, no, it's not. I said, because... It seems to me that the hospitals have bulk bought mesh, stored it and then obviously use it when and if it is need be. And as I say, mesh is mesh, but it's just used in different places of the body as mine was. Yes, it was implanted. It was made in 2010, but it was implanted in December 2015 it doesn't matter you know whether we've, you know it's gone wrong or it's it's eroded or it's snapped uh, you know because it's gone over that 10 years we don't have a leg to stand on and the solicitors won't touch you either so the other one uh when it comes to claiming this should be uh quite interesting to a lot of people if you have a product that's or if you had an operation and you find out within I think it's three years that it. what is causing it was the operation. You can then, uh, I think it's sue the hospital trust for medical negligence. But had you have brought it up three years ago to a doctor and said to the doctor, I think it's my mesh, but the doctor has sent you to the gynae and nothing was was proved, uh, again, you don't have a leg to stand on because you've already raised awareness of knowing the mesh was there. This is why my petition is here, is because all mesh victims, whether they've had them 20 years or 15 or 10 or one, should get compensation from our government because we didn't approve this product, they did. Um, We didn't buy this product in, they did. The product was not fit for purpose and is not fit for purpose. I, do, I know of a few people that have, have said, you know, my home is great, but that's two people against thousands of people that I've spoken to. So, and if it isn't affecting them now, I'd like to speak to them again in two years when it is affecting them. So, and the government ignore us on this. They are completely burying the head in the sun, even though Australia have admitted um, and accepted that mesh is, is a bad product and they've stopped using it in certain operations in the UK I think they put a hold on it for the vaginal mesh victim uh, like the bladder they put a hold on it for that hernias and uh umbilical adults they've they've carried on with do you think it's because they've got lots of stock left
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I would imagine they got to get rid of the one that's going to come up to its uh, expiry date first to get it into a patient to rotate through their stock. So it really is so evident through your story that the the system is designed to protect corporate interests, to protect the, the medical system, to protect the physicians and not protect the patients. Absolutely i think it's it is a very vicious circle
0: i think the big companies are making an awful lot of money through this vicious circle the only way that i can see this getting any better is to the point where millions of people are unable to work and they are off on the sick and the government are having to pay benefit and when it gets to that point where the benefits bill is far bigger than the medical bill that they'll actually do something about it but that's that's the way i look at it because why why would you not stop making it if if it's harming human beings you know and it's it's proven it's been proven for the last i think it was 2007 it was proven so why would you carry on why would you carry on implanting something that doesn't have an 80% chance of working. And why would you want to ruin people's lives? I mean, really ruin them. Profits over people. Yeah, but there are too many of us that are dependent now on the government giving us benefit to live. And believe me, when, when you've been in the type of career I've been in and you've made a lot of money, to all of a sudden have nothing is... It's very, very difficult, very hard. Now, I wouldn't say humiliating. I just have to accept it. But you know, I can't, I can't move forward anymore at all. And that, that's quite shocking. I'd like to be in a position where uh, I have the house that I used to have, and I'm getting ready to prepare myself so that when I retire, I've got um, enough to be happy on. I don't want to be loaded. I just want to be in a position where I'm independent. And i the rate it's going, I never will be, never will be.
1: They've stolen your future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd say, and thousands of others, definitely.
1: Yeah. Well, Sally, it's such an incredible story that you've been through and to do the petition to move into that awareness advocacy to make meaning out of your experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would like, the thing with this petition as well, it's not all about the money. When you apply for a petition in the UK, you have to have reasoning, etc. The other reason was to get that word mesh, an all mesh implant injured into the House of Parliament. Because I want it on the telly. I want people to know that mesh implants are not safe. They're, they're not fit for purpose. They erode, they snap. And at the moment, it's being very, very well hidden, you know, so that people don't know. The more people that know, the more people will
1: come forward. So if people wanted to connect with you on social media, where can they find you?
0: I'm on Twitter um, under Maddox underscore S or Sally Maddox on Facebook. I Join groups on Facebook because I think groups are full of so much information and so much advice and so much support. Um, So as I say, Rectopexy Mesh Victim Support, Mesh UK Charitable is another one. Uh, Umbilical Hernia Support is on Facebook. And as I say, that's for like your belly button. So a lot of of adults get that. When they've been lifting, they'll have a, a prolapse or a hernia. Uh, like a little hole, and they will explain to you their side of the story, you know, when they've had problems. Um, I put a lot of tweets out, you you would have already seen, it's usually a small description of, of what it's about, because we don't get a lot of space to write your full life story, um, and that would obviously be tagged with the petition as well. Um, there is also a group called sling the mesh which is for vaginal mesh but as i say vaginal mesh injured are being helped the rest of us are being discriminated against they won't help us
1: well thank you sally for sharing your story and for the work that you're doing to raise awareness it's so important
0: it is it is the raising awareness bit that's more important to me i have to say i mean obviously if I could if I could buy a house that would be great. but you know the the truth of the matter is if I help you know many, many women and men and children um, not have this stuff, that's that's fantastic. Can I just mention as well? um I have a, a lady on here called Ruth who is gaining information or wanting information on women that have had mesh fitted and then gone on to have children because some of the children have autoimmune disease and have deficiencies and they're trying to link whether it's because of the toxins in the mesh that have been sent through to the baby whilst they're pregnant so anything like that you know would be if you're thinking it you might not be going mental you might actually be right that, I think that's the problem. A lot of people are questioning themselves. They go to the GPs. The GPs, you know, get rid of them.
1: Oh, thank you, Sally. So you, you mentioned Ruth. How can folks connect with her?
0: Okay, Ruth is also on Rectopexy Mesh Victims. She has a separate group, Pregnancy and Mesh.
1: We'll include links to all of those in the show notes so people... That would be fabulous.
0: Yeah, it. that would be really, really good. And as I say, I'm on all of these sites. <laughs> so if anybody ever wants to speak to me, they can do it via the site. I'm, I'm usually there. And as well as tweeting, I will always give advice and I would always support other women that uh, are going in and having removals and other women that can't get the removals at the moment so thank you
1: great thank you sally well a huge thanks to sally for sharing her experience and for the awareness raising that she's doing evidently plastic mesh inside a person's body is not always going to be a harmless event thanks for listening to the podcast be kind to yourself be kind to others If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all of the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for dealing with medical error and or living with complex chronic illnesses, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com.